As you're being seated, I want to say welcome. Really glad you could be here with us this morning. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, If you want to take a page out of my book this morning, you can do that. Um, This morning, I opened up my weather app, opened up my calendar app, and gave God some praise because it's not supposed to be this warm this time of year in the Midwest. Amen. Come on. This is great. This is amazing. Wore my spring jacket. Drank an extra cup of coffee this morning. Uh, it's good to be in the house of God with the temperatures uh, as they are. Man, awesome. Really glad you could be here uh, today. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, especially want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here today. We are in a series uh, working through methodically, slowly, leaving no stone unturned through the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of four biographies of Jesus' life. And one of the main themes we're seeing throughout sections 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9, the ones we're focusing on uh, this spring, is that the kingdom of God is for all people without distinction. Or you could say it this way, the kingdom of God is for all kinds of people. It's not just for one social class. It's not just for one gender. It's not just for uh, one uh, culture, but it's for all people in the history of the world without distinction. And that's really good news. Kingdom of God is for all people. In Matthew 5 through 7, uh, there's record of the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, came from Jesus himself, and he taught on the kingdom of God through words. He developed the ethic of the kingdom of God. He taught about how the kingdom that he came to inaugurate is not doing away with the Old Testament revelation, but is actually fulfilling the Old Testament revelation. And then in chapters 8 and 9, This is great news that Jesus does not just bring the kingdom in word, but he actually brings the kingdom in action, right? Jesus heals the sick. Jesus delivers the oppressed. Jesus reaches the social outcast. Uh, Jesus cares for all types of people, and that's the theme we're seeing in chapters 8 and 9. And this morning, we're going to be closing out Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at Uh, An interesting story, uh, but a good one nonetheless. It's going to be Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. If you have a Bible, please open there, Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. Otherwise, it will be behind me, and I want you to uh, read with me. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 28. And when he, Jesus, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Uh, For about five years, every summer, uh, I went on a missions trip with 200 other students to Chicago's inner city, the south side of Chicago. 
And it astonished me each year I went that a place like this could actually exist in the United States. Um, I kid you not, it looked like a war-torn region of our country. And this was uh, just a few miles away from downtown Chicago. And we'd partner with a church down there, and uh, one of the things we would do each night when we were there for the week would we would hold outdoor uh, evangelistic services for the community. And a couple times each week, we would hold these services on a street called Martin Luther King Drive. And that is consistently ranked among the top 10 most dangerous streets uh, in America. Okay, we would look to our left, we'd Look to our right, everywhere around us, you would see, man, systemic poverty, uh, violence, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, oppression, man, real anguish. Just to give you a little perspective, uh, if you traveled about two miles from where our inner city ministry was happening, uh, you would stumble across the University of Chicago Medicine. Uh, It's one of the leading uh, medical schools in the country. And if you travel just a couple blocks further, uh, you would drive by, drive by former President Barack Obama's house. This was just a couple miles away from where we, where we ministered. Uh, you could look up at any given time. You would see the iconic, known around the globe, the skyline of Chicago, right? The Ferris Wheel of Navy Pier, the Willis Tower, the John Hancock Building, etc. I'll never forget a conversation that I had, it was a common occurrence uh, as a group of young high school students are walking the inner city of Chicago to be stopped by police officers. And the conversation would go something like, do you know where you are? Like, are you lost? And each time that happened, um, reality hit me. And the reality was this. We were doing ministry in neighborhoods that the police officers of Chicago had actually given up on. Uh, We were reaching people and serving people in these regions where the civil authorities would not go. And one of my uh, team members responded with maybe a little uh, pithy saying that could go on your coffee mug, but it stuck with me. He said, we're not not lost. Uh, We're here to reach lost people with the gospel. Why do I share this uh, illustration I think it, in some way, shape, or form, mirrors what our Savior Jesus did in his day for all people. The reality is this, Jesus reached people that no one in his day wanted to reach. Jesus went places that the religious leaders of his day would not dare go. Jesus truly brought the kingdom to all people without distinction. And in Matthew chapter 8, perhaps better than anywhere in the four Gospels, we see an account of Jesus reaching people that the religious leaders would have no interest in reaching. And Jesus brought his disciples to a place that the religious leaders, the Jews of his day, the religious elite, would not dare go. And the big idea this morning from this passage is very simple, but its implication is profound. And it is this, Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us. Here's what that means. That means to come to Jesus, we don't have to clean ourselves up. 
we don't have to be searching for Jesus, but in fact, the greatest news in the history of the world is that Jesus comes to us. And this is the distinguishing question, this is a distinguishing statement that separates Christianity from all other major world religions. See, every world religion throughout history asks the question, what must people do to get to God? But when Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God, he didn't ask the question, he solved the problem. And he inaugurated the kingdom that said, God comes to us. It's not about what we can do to get to God. It's about what God has done to to come to us. That's the central tenet of Christianity. That's what Jesus came to establish. Jesus comes to us. In the first two verses of uh, uh, of this section, we really see that there are a couple kingdoms that are at war. And this sets the context for what we're going to see in a moment. Look with me at verse 28 again. When Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, I want to pause there for a moment. Um, The Gadarenes was a heavily Gentile region, that is a non-Jewish region. Uh, If you look at the back of your Bible with the the maps that are probably back there, uh, you'll see a small strip of land, which is uh, Judea, Samaria in the middle, and then Galilee up top. That's where Jesus spent most of his ministry. And then there's Uh, to the right or to the east, uh, across the Sea of Galilee, this mass of uncharted territory, and it's called the Decapolis. And one of the cities in the Decapolis is the country of the Gadarenes. In fact, first century uh, historians note that the region of the Gadarenes was dominated by Gentiles and pigs. Right, Gentiles and pigs. Uh, if you know a little bit about Jewish culture, you know that Jews keep kosher. Uh, they will not uh, eat pork. That's one of their dietary restrictions. And Jews, especially in Jesus' day, did not associate with Gentiles, that is, those who were not Jewish by birth. Jews would have avoided this place like the plague. Yet Jesus goes to the other side and pursues the people in this region. And if you look back with me a few verses, in verse 18, uh, Jesus' ministry after healing many people was attracting quite the crowd, right? Jesus was giving free health care, providing free food, traveling along the sea, like you know people are going to come and follow him. And there were great crowds, multitudes of people surrounding Jesus, And in verse 18, we see that Jesus gave orders to leave the crowds and go to the country of the Gadarenes. Jesus was leaving his fans, the people that esteemed him and loved what he was doing. He was leaving his fans to pursue his enemies. This is the nature and heart of our God. This is Jesus. Jesus comes to us and he reaches the people that we overlook, and he goes places that we would never go. He comes to the country of the Gadarenes. And how is he greeted? Uh, Not by fanfare. No, he's greeted by two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. These men, it says in Matthew 8, 
were so fierce that no one could even pass that way. These are two demon-possessed men. That might make you a little uncomfortable. Uh, Here we intersect, we confront the supernatural worldview of the Bible. Right, this might make you, make you a little uncomfortable, and, and let me explain to you very briefly uh, why that probably is. Um, be, being in the West, we live in a society and a culture that is dominated by a philosophical worldview called naturalism. It's rooted in the Enlightenment tradition of the 17 and 1800s especially, and naturalistic philosophy says only Uh, What I can sense with my five senses is that which exists. If I can prove it mathematically and I can observe it scientifically, then it exists. Anything that doesn't fall in that category does not exist. But then contrastingly, there's the more Eastern worldview, Uh, the region in which Jesus ministered, the Uh, worldview of the biblical era and most Eastern cultures. And it's not naturalism, it's supernaturalism. Supernaturalistic worldview says, uh, yes, what we sense with our five senses is legitimate, but there's also a realm that we do not see. Here's, Here's how the Bible talks about this. The Bible engages with both the natural realm, that, that which we see, and the supernatural realm, that which we cannot see. Both are valid. Another way it talks about it is there's the kingdom of God. And then there's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan and demons. This is the supernatural worldview of the Bible. And if we attempt to be biblical, if we want to affirm what Jesus affirmed, then we have to affirm this supernatural worldview. There's the realm we see and the realm we do not see. And in Matthew chapter 8, we're confronted confronted with the activity of the kingdom of darkness. We're confronted with the activity of the demonic in these two men. And it says they're walking among the tombs. And they're so fierce that no one could even pass by that way. They were quarantined in a sense. Here's what you need to know. The kingdom of Satan, demons, and darkness desires to bring destruction and harm to God's good creation. That's the activity of the kingdom of darkness. Always seeking to deteriorate, harm, oppress, and bring brokenness to what God created and said was good. That's why in the gospel of Mark, which is another one of the biographies of Jesus' life, It records this account from a different perspective, and Mark puts in a detail. It says that these two men in the country of the Gadarenes were among the tombs, and they were actually cutting themselves with stones, and they were daily crying out. They were harming themselves. Why? Because the activity of the kingdom of darkness is to always harm and bring destruction to God's good creation. Right, all throughout the... Old Testament, the first two-thirds of your Bible, uh, we see the pagan religions that are surrounding God's people Israel. And what they all had in common was their worship and their uh, rituals to their gods was often self-harm. They would harm themselves to appease their God. 
this is absolutely antithetical to God's plan for humanity. The kingdom of darkness always wants to bring harm and destruction to God's good creation. For several years, I had the privilege of working with students uh, in, in ministry. And I would often talk to, man, junior high and early high schoolers that were, had, had, had such a low view of themselves, such a low self-esteem because of something they've done or something that's been done to them, that they'd often be uh, actively harming themselves. Or we're, we're talking junior high and high schoolers. That's demonic. That's the activity of the kingdom of darkness at work, destroying the good creation that God brought about. That's the activity of darkness. And it's going to war against these two men who are walking among the tombs. And then in verse 29, it says, Behold, these men with the demons cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Here's what I need you to catch. is something you might look over, but have you come here to torment us before the time? Here's what that's implying. Satan and demons who know that Jesus is the Son of God also know that their time will be cut short. That there is a lifespan on their activity to work and harm and bring destruction to God's good creation. Satan and demons know what their demise will be. Here's what they're saying by implication. If there are two kingdoms at war, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, demons, and darkness, the kingdom of God will prevail. Satan and demons know this. They're fallen angels who once shared in the revelation of God. And they know this. And so they ask, have you come to torment us before the time? This is the summary of the book of Revelation. Right, if I were to summarize the book of Revelation in two words, it would be this. We win. The kingdom of God prevails against the kingdom of darkness. There will come a day where Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and, and demons, these fallen angels that are harassing the people of the kingdom of God, will be judged and will not be able to harass the people of God any longer. And at that time in the last day, the day of judgment, God's people will rise again and be exalted. We will be called sons of God in the kingdom of God, ruling and reigning. Jesus wins. The demons recognized this, and Jesus inaugurated the kingdom knowing this. And then we kind of interject um, what's going on here in verse 30. Right, the, the demons are crying out, have you come here to torment us before the time? And then Matthew saw fit to add this random detail. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. This is the most unclean animal in Judaism. Okay, you stay away from the pigs. They're often associated with filth and diseases. 
So you, you, you stay away from the pigs to keep kosher in Judaism. And let me, let me just zoom out here for a moment so we can know where we're at and regain our perspective a little bit. Okay, Jesus and his 12 disciples had just left the crowd, crossed the sea, right, crazy storm, made 12 fishermen completely fearful. And then finally, they, they, they get off the boat and they come to a region that the disciples never thought they would go to as good law-abiding Jews, right? They're in the country of the Gadarenes. They're hanging out among the dead. They're, they're among the tombs. And to add insult to injury, it's like a herd of pigs, right? Just, just feeding off a distance. Like the disciples would have been absolutely freaked out. This is like the Jewish acres of terror. This is terrible. So then in verse 31, we see this odd interaction. Um, the demons begged Jesus saying, if you cast us out, they know that Jesus can. They've already admitted he is the son of God and rules and reigns over the kingdom of darkness. If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. In verse 32, Jesus obliges, he said, Go, one word. So the demonic spirits came out and they went into the pigs and behold, the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. Here's what I need you to catch. Jesus allowed the pigs, animals, to perish so that these two humans creating the image of God could be freed. And I need you to see your value in the kingdom of God in this moment. I need you to understand that the Bible teaches that God created man in his image and likeness. Only humans can say that. There is no other aspect of God's creation that is made in his image. That's reserved for humans. Psalm 8 says that God created man just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings and crowned humans with glory and honor. This is your value in the kingdom of God. It pleased God in Christ to spare the men from their oppression and demonic attack at the expense of the pigs. So let me say this. Maybe you've done something in your life and you're just carrying this weight of shame and guilt. Maybe something out of your control has been done to you and you feel unworthy, dirty, and shameful. That's demonic, and that's not the Father heart of God for you. You are created in God's image. You're an image bearer. You are treasured and valued in the sight of God, your Father and Creator. And in fact, it is this fundamental disposition of benevolence and love that God has for all people that led him to enter into our anguish, suffering, brokenness, and shame 
in the person of Jesus and eventually spill his innocent blood and life on the cross. That's your value in the kingdom of God. No other religion ascribes this kind of value to humans. That's Christianity. That's the God of the Bible. People are valued in God's sight, treasured and valued. That's your value in the kingdom of God. And we look at the last two verses. How, how do the people, the natives of the region of the Gadarenes, respond to this? Well, verse 33, the herdsmen fled. They're like, we're out of here. Um, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. It's ironic that Jesus came to the overlooked region, delivers two men that are suffering and no doubt a public nuisance. And their response is to drive Jesus away. There's probably a couple reasons for this. First, there's probably a little frustration. Right? A herd of, what, possibly hundreds, thousands of pigs gone into the sea. That's a lot of bacon. <laughs> right? This is their livelihood. They're farmers, and now it's all gone, and they're making a mess in the sea, and now how are they going to fish? And they, right? It's a mess. They're frustrated. Get out of here. But I think there's something deeper than that, underlying that, and that is this. I think the people of the region of Decapolis were fearful of the power of God in Christ. Here's the reality. Many people are comfortable and would rather stumble in the darkness than have their deeds be exposed in the light. Right? They say... Look, Jesus, we're, we're comfortable living our life. We're comfortable without you interrupting what we're doing. We have a good thing going on here. And they cast him away. The Gospel of John chapter 1 says it this way. Jesus came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. They begged him to leave their region. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us in our oppression, in our anguish, in our brokenness, in our shame, guilt, bondage, and sin. Jesus comes to us. But Jesus doesn't just come to us, He came to us. This is history. And some of, you might, some of you might not even believe that. You might believe this is just fiction. You might think that this is just a good set of moral teachings from a possible teacher, Jesus. Let me say this. Jesus came to us. That is history. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the most well-documented event in the history of the world. Over 6,000 manuscript witnesses ascribe the historicity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus to him. 
to call into question whether or not Jesus of the Bible existed in real history is to call into question the rest of human history. Okay, so Jesus, he came to us. And now the onus is on every single person who ever lived, every person in this room, you and me, will you receive Jesus or will you reject Jesus? That's the crux of the issue. Jesus didn't come for us to deem him a good teacher. Jesus did not enter into our anguish and suffering to merely illuminate our minds and find some other way to heaven. No, Jesus came and declared that he is God, something the demons recognize, something that our culture so adamantly rejects. Jesus is God. Will you receive him as such or reject him as such? And let me say a difficult truth, but a biblical truth. If you reject Jesus, your end will not be eternal life, but your end will be destruction, separation from the Father. Your end will look no different than the pig's. But here's the good news. If you receive Jesus, John 1.12 says, To all who believed in Jesus' name, God gave the right to become children of God. If you receive Jesus, if you repent, that means turn from your sin, turn from your rejection, turn from your arrogance and pride, and then trust in Jesus with faith you become a son child of God. And your end is not destruction. No, your end is exaltation. Your end is eternal life with your father who created you in his image and desires relationship with you. Jesus comes to us. Jesus came to us. Will you receive him? And will you receive him this is the crux of the life and ministry of Jesus. And I ask you to consider these things as we wrap up in prayer.